0: Welcome to the Investment Matters podcast from Newton Investment Management. This podcast is intended for UK, US, Canadian, Australian and New Zealand institutional investors only. Please note that any investment policies, processes or activities described in this podcast relate to investment strategies managed from the United Kingdom by Newton Investment Management Limited. You can listen to important regulatory disclosures at the end of this podcast. The companies referenced may or may not represent securities purchased or sold for advisory clients. It should not be assumed that an investment in the companies discussed was or will be profitable. The Investment Matters podcast was recorded in line with current government guidelines around social distancing. We apologise for any issues in recording quality.
1: Welcome to episode two of Investment Matters, the Newton Investment Podcast. I'm Matt Goodman from the Investment Communications team, and I'm joined today by Suzanne Hutchins, the team leader of the Real Return team, Kurt Custard, our Chief Investment Officer, and Andrew Parry, our Head of Sustainable Investment. We're going to continue looking today at the, uh, the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic uh, and looking at some of the trends that may be uh, started, accelerated, or even ended by the by the pandemic. Kurt, can you talk us through some of the trends that we're seeing being accelerated, perhaps, as a result of the pandemic?
2: Well, there, there, there's an interesting, there um, so a couple of factoids. One is, is uh, the, the state of California, which is the largest university system in the country in the U.S., has just pushed their entire fall schedule online. All right, now that's, that's I'm going to say 100,000 plus People have just had their whole educational process changed, right? And, and people are now beginning to realize that, you know, online is now de facto um, for, for a whole host of things. Telemedicine is another really good example. So I think those trends are going to continue, and, and the COVID situation has, um, has accelerated them pretty dramatically. Um, and it, it's, it's going to create, it's going to create different business models that are out there because obviously the cost basis now changes, you know, massively. I mean, if your doctor doesn't have to go into a doctor's office, uh, and can just, you know, Skype you from home, uh, equally if your professor can teach a kid in India as well as they can teach a kid in California. Um, so all of these things are have really upended, uh, a lot of the traditional ways that, that we've thought of things. And it, it's very exciting. Um, I, I think it's pushed, you know, these online trends all the all the more strongly.
1: Uh, Suzanne, do you see any areas where, where you're seeing differences in the way you're approaching investment? Are there sort of new ideas that are throwing themselves up in the, in the current environment for you?
3: Most definitely, um, particularly in the areas of sustainability and companies that, um, you know, um are going to actually benefit from sort of the post-covid crisis i think that um you know there, there will be a much greater acceleration towards um making sure that companies um have got policies around climate change around environmental issues around social issues as well
1: same question to annie i mean we're unearthing lots of uh opportunities are Are there anything in particular there that you're you're seeing that maybe is, is something that wasn't there perhaps 12 months ago
4: well I think there's um, two two elements to what's changing there's a push and there's a pull there's an increasing regulatory pressure uh, you, know, you know particularly in Europe but, but also um, generally around the world for investors and companies to get greener and more more responsible and, and i think sometimes it's really fascinating to look at the opportunities in industries in transition you know at, uh, industries like steel and cement which are incredibly carbon intensive they recognize that if there is going to be a carbon price and we have many carbon prices all, around the world already but if we actually that momentum gathers, the viability of their businesses are going to be under pressure. So many of these big industrial companies are the ones that are actually really going to change the most. You know, they're taking solutions provided elsewhere to implement into their businesses to have a, quite a potentially profound impact on lowering their carbon outputs. And, that, and so I think areas like that are really interesting, food and the way that we consume food is, um, is changing. We have this, the rise of plant-based foods, which is not just about healthy eating, because some of them aren't quite as healthy as they should be at the moment, but it's about taking the pressure off the, uh, of the uh, agricultural meat-based uh, diet that we have that is causing all sorts of other consequential. Issues. Um, you know, vegetarianism now is uh, is quite fashionable and, uh, amongst the young. I think in, in apparel, there's a lot more focus on issues like sustainable uh, uh, sourcing. You know, the way that uh, people in the supply chain are treated, particularly women in the developing world. about the use of water in manufacturing and uh, but also fast fashion and challenging companies about do we need to bring out new fashions every 48 hours you know so I think people are beginning to change their attitudes to consumption Uh, and while we're in lockdown I think we've all been consuming Less. You know, there are different, there are areas in technology and the, like the delivery of services, as Kurt mentions, you know, so I, I think the whole sustainability concept, is the, the biggest change really in the last 12, 12 months is how diffuse it's become across sectors and across regions. Because going back to my previous point, it is all ultimately about good business, about building resilience, building efficiency, and potentially capturing new market share, particularly at the more sort of impactful end. Because if you have products and services that address some of the pressing underserved needs in the global economy, that's the beta of future growth. That's a great opportunity for those innovative companies that have that, uh, th- those solutions. So now I'm, ve- I'm very positive about the changes and you know, out of every great crisis uh, does emerge opportunities.
1: I suppose one thing that potentially could be a, a headwind for, for some and perhaps an opportunity for others is this, this kind of trend of this sort of de-globalizing trend that we're seeing. Um, Kerr, I mean, do you think this this move to bring supply chains home, is that gonna be an issue for a lot of sectors that are companies?
2: Yeah, particularly the tech sector. Um, you know, there's there's two sort of clouds on what is would otherwise be an extremely bright future for tech. Uh, firstly, it's the supply chain situation. The tech is probably the most global in terms of the supply chain. You get parts from all over the world. Uh, if people recall the the rare earths uh, potential issue that came up a few years ago, um, yeah. where you need you know these these various apparently not very rare minerals, but but to to you know, make uh, various chips, et cetera, and they're only found in a few places. You know, th- that is a weapon from a geopolitical perspective uh, that may get used. Uh, you've seen the Trump administration now restrict the, the uh, shipment of um, uh, semiconductors back to Huawei in, in China. Um, you know, obviously that's, you know, another example of saber rattling going on. So I think tech is, is, is threatened from that perspective. And then they're also threatened from a regulatory perspective. I think Andrew mentioned earlier that, you know, some of these companies are now becoming so big that that they have, you know, either de facto or explicit monopoly power. Uh, and and I would expect that if you uh, either coming out of Europe or, or coming out of a, a change in the administration in the U S you might be, see some, some increased regulatory scrutiny.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else? I mean, we've talked a bit about medicine already. Um, what you know? What do you think will happen? We've got a, obviously a, a big situation that we've already talked about with the the race to find a vaccine, antibody tests. Um, do you see issues there, Kurt, in terms of how how that's going to play out in in, in different countries and, and in the sector?
2: Well, well, if, you know, I was going to mention this earlier, but if you, if we, we want to have an experiment about whether uh, the the tensions between the U.S. and China are going to play out. You know, have this in your head. What what happens if China comes up with a vaccine first and then patents it? Uh, Do do you see the Trump administration paying royalties to China uh, for for a COVID vaccine? I mean, you know, and and similarly, I'm not entirely sure that if any country develops it, that you're going to see a very easy transition to a, hey, I've developed it. I put my R&D in it. I don't I want you to respect that. When there's been so much loss of life, so much loss of economic activity and so much finger pointing going on. So I think it's going to be a real test for the system pretty soon, within 12 months.
1: Again, we've talked about it already, but do you see, do you see a, a new Cold War developing? I mean, it's obviously a concern in some, some areas.
2: Yeah, I think, I think we're there.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. you know, the, the situation in Hong Kong, I mean, Pompeo declared that Hong Kong is no longer an autonomous region of China. Therefore, it's going to lose a lot of its special trading rules. Um, obviously, the Hong Kong peg is of extreme interest, I think, to the United States. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a fair amount of um, drama presumably about to unfold. In, in, in some respects, the COVID crisis has uh, dominated so much of the news flow and, and the mind space of, of both investors and the man on the street that it has let a lot of the underlying rumbling tensions that are going on in the world sort of go unnoticed. But certainly the the one going on between uh, China and Hong Kong and between China and the U.S. is going to come to the fore pretty quickly. I mean, I'd I'd be interested, Suzanne, if you you have a similar view, but my reading of geopolitics is, is that it's certainly not getting better. It's just been overshadowed.
3: I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, with all this COVID reporting, there's been a lot of things that are going on, Underneath the surface, and obviously, the 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 China-U.S. Um, trade spat has been ongoing. But the fact now that also we've got a U.S. presidential election this year, and both the Republicans and the Democrats um, are really on the same side in terms of um, their contention against um, China and and you know the security. And behaviors that um, I, I do think that this is going to um, be um, very pressing over the next few months, um, and obviously you know the stock prices in Hong Kong, etc already um, you know have been impacted, and there's obviously lots of discussion now about whether Chinese companies will be delisted from the u s stock exchange. So there's certainly the heat is increasing substantially in this area. And um, I, I, I think that that will also unnerve markets as well because it creates, again, an unstable, uncertain outlook.
1: I suppose, I mean, obviously, there's a lot, a lot of things to be concerned about there. Um, I'm just going to try and end the, the pod on a, on a, well, hopefully a more positive note, but obviously I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I'm going to ask the three of you... Um, where you think we'll be, um, I'm putting you on the spot here, in 12 months' time, uh, do you think that markets will be uh, still volatile? Um, do you have grounds for optimism 12, 12 months from now? Um, so I'm going to go around the, the three of you. I don't know who wants to start, but um, perhaps, Andrew, just to take your view, maybe from a sustainable angle on where you think we'll be in 12 months'
4: time. I think uh, a lot of the trends that we were seeing going into this crisis will continue. So the transition in the energy market the greater fo- focus on pollution minimizing pollution and waste uh, more a greater awareness of the stakeholder ver- merits versus the shareholder centric model. I think that will that will continue. So in with my sustainability hat on I'm I'm quite optimistic. I think volatility is an inevitable feature of our lives nowadays. You know, the geopolitics is one source, but don't forget that when interest rates are effectively at zero, you have what I call a dangerous denominator effect. When you're trying to divide out by zero, you know, volatility is always going to be a feature. Very small changes and expectations of macro or monetary conditions can actually have an amplified effect uh, on markets. Now as a stock-picking house, I think that's a, a great opportunity, actually, because it does allow you to buy some great companies at attractive valuations. So it's just something we have to cope with, and it's just a, a function of the, you know, the modern monetary regime that, that we, we live, live under.
1: Yeah, thank you. And Suzanne, um, what, what are your thoughts for where we may be in 12 months' time?
3: Well, I think it is going to be a bumpy ride between now and, um, you know, over the next uh, year or so. Um, But ultimately, you know, we are in environments where markets are being managed by central bankers. And so in a financial sense, um, I think asset prices can do quite well. Um, And some of that is down to um, what Andrew was referring to. Is about the discount rates being extremely low or interest rates being held at zero, which means that the your your cash flows that you discount um, is at a much much lower rate. So the value of the businesses then grow and and more, and worth more um, in terms of um, P valuations. So I do think that um, you have to be mindful of what markets are doing. I mean, I'm a fundamentalist at the end of the day, so I do struggle with this push-pull between what the markets are doing and what the fundamental valuations are telling me, because generally everything is, is pretty expensive. But then, you know, as active stock pickers, when you look beneath the surface, um, there's a lot of discrepancy and bifurcation that's going on in within geographies, um, within um, sectors and Um, you know, across asset classes as well. I mean, in terms of the real economy, I think it is, I mean, it is going to be very challenging. There are going to be a lot of people out of jobs or have to reskill, retrain. And um, and I think that it is quite a big reset from the way people think about their lives and the work-life balance. Um so I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it was a long time coming to be honest with you um but it is going to be very, very challenging, particularly for those um that are perhaps um have less skills or are working in the types of businesses that are bricks and mortar, which you know are going to be become more redundant over time as more and more people move to um this digital digitalized world
1: yeah absolutely so lots of obviously things that uh potential issues ahead of us so uh, kurt finally to you i mean can you give us any grounds for optimism where you think on the macro level perhaps where we've been a, a year a year from now
2: well i think we're probably not going to see a recovery to pre-covid levels of economic output the latter half of 21 um, I'm not convinced. And there are some economists that are running around saying that it's going to be a V-shaped recovery because all the gig economy workers are going to go out and start gigging again. Um, but the other data that I've seen is that roughly 42% of the current furloughed employees will be laid off permanently uh, once the the, the you know the fiscal or financial aid ends. Now, if we keep you know coming out with packages like we've seen out of Europe and Japan in the last 24, 48 hours, yeah. um, I may be wrong. I mean, you can throw money at the problem, but you know you are dependent then on on central banks to effectively finance that. Um, yeah. Which, you know, echoing you know Suzanne's points, uh, I think we're you know at that point you know you know warping of of economics to such a degree it's almost unrecognizable. I mean, if we go into MMT uh, in an explicit format, then I think we're just manufacturing you know, fiat money, uh, to, to appease an, an angsty populace. Um, the other, so, so from, from that perspective, I think, you know, we have at least probably 18 months till we get, to get back to a level of economic output that looks, resembles the historic level of economic output that we're at. Um, I think markets, to Suzanne's point again, will behave differently. I think what you're likely to see, uh, is, a uh, period of volatility where you're going to see the marketplace get, you know, over enthusiastic about official policy measures. So we're going to see it coming out of, you know, if we get a correction, we'll get some statement out of the ECB, the Fed, the BOE, whatever that says, hey, you know what, we're going to do this new thing to boost the markets. They will then rally. Then they'll realize the economic fundamentals aren't there. They'll correct, uh, and then they'll rally for financial reasons. Um, you know, it's all a bit warped, but I think that's the, the likely path that we'll we'll see. I'd expect a correction. You know, if I if you want to stick my neck on the line, I'll, I expect a correction as you close into the, the last half of this year, uh, mm-hmm. when we start to see the impact of a potential second wave of COVID, coupled with flu season, coupled with the acknowledgments that a lot of the layoffs that had happened previously uh, are looking a little bit more permanent.
1: Okay, well, uh, yeah, quite sobering words there. But let's hope uh, let's hope for the best as we as we go forward. Uh, I just want to thank all of you. Thanks very much. Uh, Andrew, uh, Suzanne and Kurt, um, and uh, we'll speak to you all again soon.
0: Please note the following important information. Your capital may be at risk. The value of investments and the income from them can fall as well as rise and investors may not get back the original amount invested. This podcast is a financial promotion Material in this podcast is for general information only. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Newton Investment Management Limited and should not be construed as investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security or commodity. Any reference to a specific country or sector should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell in this country or sector. Compared to more established economies, The value of investments in emerging markets may be subject to greater volatility due to differences in generally accepted accounting principles or from economic or political instability or less developed market practices. Where a portfolio has exposure to hedge funds, gold, private equity and property via publicly quoted transferable securities, there are additional risks associated with these sectors. This podcast is issued by Newton Investment Management Limited. The Bank of New York Mellon Centre, 160 Queen Victoria Street, London, EC4V4LA. Registered in England, number 01371973. Newton Investment Management Limited is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E201JN and is a subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation the newton investment management group is used to collectively describe a group of affiliated companies that provide investment advisory services under the brand name newton or newton investment management investment advisory services are provided in the united kingdom by newton investment management limited and in the united states by newton investment management north america llc both firms are indirect subsidiaries of the bank of new york mellon corporation BNY Mellon. Newton Investment Management Limited is registered with the SEC as an investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Newton Investment Management Limited's investment business is described in Form ADV Part 1 and 2, which can be obtained from the sec.gov website or obtained upon request. Personnel of certain of our BNY Mellon affiliates may act as 1. Registered representatives of BNY Mellon Securities Corporation in its capacity as a registered broker dealer to offer securities. Two, officers of the Bank of New York Mellon, a New York chartered bank, to offer bank maintained collective investment funds. And three, associated persons of BNY Mellon Securities Corporation in its capacity as a registered investment advisor to offer separately managed accounts managed by BNY Mellon investment management firms, including Newton. Certain information contained herein is based on outside sources believed to be reliable, but their accuracy is not guaranteed. Unless you are notified to the contrary, the products and services mentioned are not insured by the FDIC or by any governmental entity, and are not guaranteed by, or obligations of, the Bank of New York or any of its affiliates. The Bank of New York assumes no responsibility for the accuracy or completeness of the above data and disclaims all expressed or implied warranties in connection therewith. Copyright 2020. The Bank of New York Company, Inc. All rights reserved. In Canada, Newton Investment Management Limited is availing itself of the international advisor exemption in the following provinces. Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario and Quebec. And the foreign commodity trading advisor exemption in Ontario. The international advisor exemption is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103 registration requirements, exemptions, and ongoing registrant obligations. In Australia and New Zealand, this podcast is for Australian wholesale clients and New Zealand wholesale investors only and is not intended for distribution to nor should it be relied upon by retail clients. This information has not been prepared to take into account the investment objectives, financial objectives or particular needs of any particular person. Before making an investment decision, you should carefully consider, with or without the assistance of a financial advisor, whether such an investment strategy is appropriate in light of your particular investment needs, objectives and financial circumstances. Newton Investment Management Limited is exempt from the requirement to hold an Australian financial services licence in respect of the financial services it provides to wholesale clients in Australia and is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority of the UK under UK laws, which differ from Australian laws. Newton Investment Management Limited is authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority, 12 Endeavour Square, London, e twenty one jn Newton is providing financial services to wholesale clients in Australia in reliance on ACIC Corporations Repeal and Transitional Instrument 2016 forward slash 396. A copy of which is on the website of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission www.asic.gov.au. The instrument exempts entities that are authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority, such as Newton, from the need to hold an Australian financial services licence under the Corporations Act 2001 for certain financial services provided to Australian wholesale clients on certain conditions. Financial services provided by Newton are regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority under laws and regulatory requirements of the United Kingdom, which are different to the laws applying in Australia. Newton is providing financial services to wholesale investors in New Zealand in reliance on the safe harbour regime under the Financial Markets Conduct Act 2013, Schedule 1, Part 3.